This episode of Road Dirt, the podcast, is brought to you by Royal Enfield. Royal Enfield Motorcycles, North America and International. Their bikes are selling like hotcakes all over the world. Their primary models now are two uh, twins, the Interceptor, or here in the United States, it's known as the INT650, uh, the Continental GT, a cafe racer style bike, an adventure bike off-roader called the Himalayan, and most recently, we got to evaluate their Meteor 350, fantastic small displacement cruiser bike, just an all-around motorcycle. Really, all their bikes are just great all-around bikes, very affordable. Um, I think the most expensive one is still under six grand, and yet these bikes are high quality. So check them out. Find uh, the dealership nearest you, RoyalEnfield.com. Built like a gun since 1901, Royal Enfield. Welcome to Road Dirt, the podcast of Road Dirt Motorcycle Media and RoadDirt.tv, your down-home grassroots motorcycle brand, covering what we like to call Ride Life. This is Rob Brooks, your host. Thanks for tuning in. And we're going to visit a little bit of history in the motorcycling realm with this episode here. It's called A Brief History of the Cafe Racer, uh, of which I have one. I'm a big fan of this genre of motorcycles. A glimpse into the origins of a popular motorcycle style. The cafe racer has long been a popular genre in in the motorcycling universe and remains a sought-after look and style among many of today's modern classic offerings by so many brands. I even own one myself as an example of it, a 2017 Triumph Bonneville Street Cub. So we decided to take a short dive into the origins of the cafe racer, to discern its lasting appeal to motorcyclists the world over. Post-World War II Great Britain was a great period for motorbiking. The UK's economy was improving, rationing was no longer necessary, and the requirement for labor was at an all-time high. This meant that for the first time in many years, people actually had disposable income. While automobile ownership was still not all that common in England yet, Public life was on the cusp of a transition, as most family vehicles would eventually be replaced from motorbikes to motor cars. Yet decommissioned military motorcycles were made available for civilian purchase, and companies like Triumph, BSA, Norton, among many others, thrived in the post-war economic growth, producing fantastic affordable motorcycles for markets both foreign and domestic. This also meant that motorcycles became the preserve of young men, many coming to purchase their very own motorbikes for the first time. Now, in the 1950s, British pop culture became centered around the new phenomenon known as, well, rock and roll. And the youth that followed this musical and cultural trend inspired one of the most influential movements in motorcycle history. The rockers became a popular youth subculture at the time. These motorcycle riders thought that their music and their rebellious nature and attitude would be the perfect adversary and antidote to a perceived suppressed culture in merry old England. And the stark representation of their attitudes were the personalized bikes they used to roar around British streets in search of local bands, jukebox centers, and parties at popular cafes. In fact, that led to the term cafe racer becoming popularized itself. Now, while the main ingredients of a classic cafe racer were a symphony between a passion for rock and roll and the need for speed, 
No motorcycle would have been a true rocker's cafe racer unless it could do what's called the ton. I think we all know what the ton is. As dirt track scrambles, overland road racing, and other motorcycle racing events were at the height of popularity, racing legends like Mike Halewood and Jeff Duke were the idols of many a young man across the British Isles. And the ability to outfit and tune their motorbikes to reach 100 miles an hour became the new craze. The triple digits were a badge of honor, and groups like the Tun Up Boys and others made it a rite of passage. This craze kind of gave birth to the term cafe racer itself, really, where locals typically perceived the individuals involved as young men that hung around transport cafes waiting for other motorbike riders to show up on their tricked-out machines so they could race down the streets together. Ground zero for the cafe racer craze is now widely recognized as a place called the Ace Cafe, an establishment in the North Circular Road of London. Opening its doors in 1938, the Ace Cafe was a truck stop cafe that soon became the mecca for motorcyclists across England. Racing among rockers from Ace to other predetermined points and back became a thrilling, albeit dangerous, pastime. While these illegal races generally didn't involve cash or pink slips, they carried a lot of weight in terms of respect and bragging rights, something that was precisely what the rockers wanted at the time. Now, the configuration of a typical cafe racer motorcycle was pretty straightforward. Riders would often strip off any parts that weren't deemed essential on their bikes to reduce weight, such as fenders, windshields, air boxes, rear seats, and so on. Owners would then tune the engines to the best of their abilities and add trademark cosmetic fittings like reversed or dropped handlebars, rear set foot pegs and aluminum tanks with knee cutouts, allowing the rider to tuck in and reduce wind resistance at high speeds they were traveling at. As the trend gained popularity, cafe racer enthusiasts started to become more experimental, and the idea of doing complete engine swaps soon caught on. Popular examples of this during the time were the Triton, a hybrid consisting of a Triumph Bonneville engine mounted in the frame of a Norton featherbed, and another one, the Norvin a, Nor a Vincent power plant mated to a Norton frame as well. Now, by the 1970s, Japanese motorcycles had taken over the marketplace and the style of Grand Prix racing bikes was refreshed. The predominantly British style cafe racer now began to use popular Japanese units like the Honda CB750 or Yamaha SR400 as the base for their conversions. The cafe racer style continued to be so successful and popular that celebrated motorcycle brands like Moto Guzzi, Ducati, even Harley-Davidson during the time started to develop and produce factory cafe racers, with German brand BMW eventually joining the cafe fray as well. Modern cafe racers often revolve around these do-it-yourself projects by enthusiasts, and there's now probably a cafe racer version of nearly any motorcycle you can think of. Modern motorcycle manufacturers are still contributing to the, to the trend itself, with brands like Triumph, uh, Kawasaki, Yamaha, and Royal Enfield all producing modern classic versions of the cafe racer niche. Well, we like to say this, long live the cafe racer. Well, thanks for tuning into this. Uh, if you actually go to our website, roaddirt.tv, our online e-magazine as we call it, uh, and you look up the article, 
the brief history of a cafe racer, there's a lot of pictures we included in there of the genre from back in its early years uh, all the way through uh, some of the different types of customs. We got a picture of a Triton Cafe Racer from the Throttle Stop Museum up in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. Some versions of um, Japanese Cafe Racers, all kinds of the bikes of the trend and uh, during that time and even in the modern era as well. So speaking of Cafe Racers, we want to thank uh, Royal Enfield for sponsoring this episode of Road Dirt, the podcast. You ought to check them out, royalenfield.com. And their offering, that is the one of the great Cafe Racer uh, tributes, called the Continental GT650. Fantastic motorcycle that really is harkens back to the days of the Cafe Racer craze in its early years. So we want to thank them for their sponsorship here and ongoing on, um, on our media as well. Well, check us out uh, on the website there, RoadDirt.TV. You can check us out on our social media channels as well. Um, Road Dirt TV at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we recently launched a Facebook group called Road Dirt Motorcycling. As well as check out our YouTube channel, also Road Dirt TV, where we post a lot of ride reviews and bike and gear reviews as well. And uh, a Spotify music channel called Road Dirt Classics, about 25 hours worth of, of riding music that we and others have, uh, have submitted to um, a playlist that you can rock to while you're out on the open road. Well, thanks again for tuning in. This is Rob with Road Dirt. Ride life.